Spirit is trying to communicate to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, we've been in this, ser- this series, Ruin to Renovation, for quite a while, and we'll be here for a little while longer. <clears throat> and today, we want to talk about Christians in community uh, and in society, so to speak, and spiritual formation, in other words, in the social context. Where are you going? It's already that bad? You're just no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, but we, we've often said here at 6-8, and I think other churches say this as well, is that, um, that the local church, living under the reign of God, walking this out with Jesus, is, is, is or supposed to be a glimpse of heaven on earth. However imperfectly we do that, uh, or we reflect God on this earth, uh, is, that is where we're going. That's what we're supposed to be to the people around us. An example to society uh, as to the health and the vitality that is found and practiced under Christ's loving guidance in the individual and then extended out towards the community, towards a community with others, right? And, and we know that for that to be realized, that those within the church... Uh, must know Jesus in a personal way as both Lord and Savior, right? Now, that might seem kind of a stupid thing to say, but it's true. Now, you may not know Jesus in that way yet, and that's fine. Listen in. I hope you find him today, right? But if it's only as Savior that you know him and not Lord, then we have not really fully grasped the gospel. We've not really gotten it yet. Because the secret is that Jesus demands allegiance as Lord as well, doesn't he? The church, in other words, a body of people unified under his direction and under his calling on our lives together, right, as one unit. It's not that he's a petulant little child or a petulant little despot that wants to be in charge all the time. It's just the fact that there is no other way in life. There is no other way. As Bob Dylan said in his one Christian album, I think, uh, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody, right? Remember that album? Oh, is, he, what, is he still making albums that are Christian? I don't have no idea. But, you know, he was right when he wrote that. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And Christ's lordship, unlike Satan's, is life-giving. It's life-giving. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Don't you feel weary and burdened sometimes, right? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke. You know what a yoke is, right? It's like that big piece of wood that they put across the shoulders of oxen when they're carrying a cart, right? So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Keep bringing it into you, right? For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, which is like this stuff, this is what we're talking about in this series, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now the secret, here's a secret. Satan doesn't care that you profess or even know that you live your life in allegiance to him. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that you ever stand up and say, I'm following Satan today. He doesn't care about that. He only cares that you do not live in allegiance to Jesus. He only cares that you don't profess Jesus in your life, in your lifestyle, and in your words. Since in living in allegiance to Him, if you, even if you are unaware of it, by default you're not living in allegiance to Christ, right? 
But Jesus demands identification with him and profession of faith, a a verbal profession of faith to the crowd, to people around you, and baptism if you're able to do it. By the way, I would love to talk to you about that if you're open to that. And Ephesians 2.10 says, as a result of grace, we grow to live out of the good works of love that he's prepared in advance for us to do. This is what we're here for, right? To know Jesus is to know uh, the truth spoken of in Romans 6.14 that we studied in part last week. For sin shall not be your master. That thing that has control over you, right? Because you are not under the law. You're not being measured anymore, right? But you're under grace now. There's a very big difference in, in a life like that. And right there, that speaks of an exchange of power in our lives, right? And in verse 18, it says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Isn't that weird that he used freedom and slavery in the same sentence? Free from sin, but slaves to righteousness. So the freedom Christ brings us isn't freedom to do what we want, right? Rather, it's that false anarchy, that false freedom is what we are saved from. We think we're free when we just do what we want, but we find we're in another, a, a very heavy prison, right? No one's ever truly free from an attachment to some allegiance, one of two allegiances in life, Jesus or otherwise. So we're saved to a freedom and a power to live under the life-giving reign of God in our lives. We've lost one master and we've gained another. That's the truth of the gospel. We've exchanged oppressive tyrant for benevolent king. As it says in verse 12 in that same chapter, and this is the Passion Translation, which Kathleen turned me on to. Thank you, Kathleen. Loved it in this verse, right? It says, sin is a dethroned monarch, right? What do you do with a dethroned monarch? You, you throw them out of town. You exile them if you don't kill them, right? He's a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. Controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and its cravings. And in Romans 7, 4, it says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, belong to Jesus, there's your allegiance, right? To him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might, what? Bear fruit for God. In other words, spiritual formation. We might know Jesus so deeply and be so grateful for this grace in us that we would start to produce fruit in our lives for him. Kim and I backpacked the uh, John Muir Trail, ending up on the top of Mount Whitney in California, the highest point in the continental United States, almost 15,000 feet in the air, 14,496 feet up. That was awesome, right? It was incredible. It was beautiful. It was sunny. It was cool. It was satisfying. I was a lot skinnier then. And it's the, it was the pinnacle of a 240-mile backpacking trip through the Sierra Nevadas, something I will never forget. And we get up there, and there's this, just this panorama of colorful mountains and crystal blue lakes and the Mojave Desert and pictures don't do it justice and all that kind of stuff and endless sky all around us. It was absolutely gorgeous, and we, we cried. It was a moment to remember. But standing on the top of that mountain, just 80 miles, we had to remember that just 80 miles to the southeast was Death Valley, right? 
Death Valley, the lowest spot in the U.S., 280 feet below sea level, the hottest place in the country, and maybe even farther out than that, I don't know, but records of 134 degrees in the shade, and I think while we were there, there was a report that a couple had died because they just stayed out in the sun too long. A contrast of death and life, right? A a very clear contrast. Christ has transported us as believers. When we put our faith in Him, Christ has transported us from the suffocating heat and death of the lowest valley to the cool sunny vistas of the highest plateau, the highest plain, the highest mountain. Let's assume that everybody in this room here today that we've we've all made that move towards Christ that we've crossed over the threshold of the wedding chamber with him as our groom and us as his bride that we've made our professions standing at the altar of life and saying saying to him I take thee Jesus to have and to hold from this day forward for better for worse for richer for poorer in sickness and health and all that kind of stuff right until we're united forever. We've made our declaration. We've made our, 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 our declarations of devotion, our, we, our, our, of love towards Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's say we've done that. And that wedding illustration is an example of our conscious commitment to Christ, what we think Right? When, and and we, we are aware of in our thoughts. But it really is much more like Him extracting us from the, our, our lifeless body from Death Valley and, and miraculously breathing life back into our nostrils at the top of Mount Whitney. That's really what it's more like. And as we open our eyes and He cradles our head in, in His hands, we realize at that moment that salvation has already been done in us. And we had nothing to do with it. And as a result, as a result of that, we, you know, we express devotion as a result of that gratitude for it. As Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 say, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression, even when we didn't deserve it. It is by grace you have been saved, right? Amen. And as that happens to individuals, we're all drawn in and made a part of Christ's body, as it states in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-seven. Now you are the body of Christ. Remember, last two weeks we talked about the physical body. You are the physical arms and hands and feet of Jesus. In this world together. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it, it says. And it is a unique body. That has everything that the... The strange thing about it is it has everything that the world wants. But they just don't want the allegiance that they have to pay to get in in the door. It's a unique body, as as Colossians 3.11 says. In this new creation life, your nationality... Makes no difference. Passion translation again, Kathleen. Amen, right? Your nationality makes no difference. Or your ethnicity. Or your education. Or your economic status. They matter nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Amen. Amen, right? For it is Christ that means everything. 
as he lives in every one of us. Gosh, that sounds so good. That sounds so good. And so we come into this glorious body of Christ, right? Together, together, the local church. I'm not talking about the grander, bigger church of the world. I'm talking about local expressions of church, local bodies, you, 6-8. The local church living under the kingdom reign of God together, right? A glimpse of heaven on earth, however imperfectly reflected, an example to society as to the health and the vitality found and practiced under Christ's loving guidance in individuals and extended out into community with others. Which means we're not spiritually formed alone. We don't do this by ourselves. For us to be truly transformed, relationships must be transformed. Which makes us stumble a lot, right? Because sometimes other people don't want to be transformed. That's the rub, right? That's the hard part. It's hard enough working on yourself. It's, hard, it's even harder working in relationships with people. Since that takes uncomfortable work in ourselves with Jesus and outwardly with others, it is just difficult sometimes. And Jesus said, though, in John 13, 34 through 35, a new command I give you, love one another. Sounds pretty simple, right? But it's not. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And what? By all this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If your theology is perfect. If you don't drink and don't dance. No. If you love one another. Wow. Easier said than done. If you've been around for a while. Easier said than done. But this is the sure mark. This is the identification, the the identifying mark. This is the sure mark Jesus gives for spiritual transformation. We become people who love one another. (laughs) Specified in that idea that just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what we do in Christ, somebody's getting some, some whipped cream back there. <laughs> the sermon wasn't that great. They had to go get some whipped cream. Um, no, but so what we do in Christ is born out of what He's done for us. What we do together to each other, with each other, is born out of what He's done for us. Which then leads us to 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. <laughs> Laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's scary stuff. And failure to do this is seen just two verses ahead of that in verse 14. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. But, but anyone who does not love remains in death. You're not experiencing life. This is a love, this is a weird love. (laughs) This is a love that goes beyond the normal expression of love that we see in society all around us. A divine love 
extended even to our enemies. Jesus made that very clear in Matthew 5. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Kim just said that. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That you may be daughters of your Father in heaven, by the way, too. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends out rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Hell's angels love each other a lot. They don't love me. Be perfect. He ends that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Boy, that is a top... Like, that's a high calling, isn't it? A divine, he's, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of a divine love that goes beyond just personal affinities, doesn't it? Extending towards all peoples, in, in Scripture it says all nations, even our enemies. Radical thinking, that is, that is upside down thinking. That's a totally different way of viewing life. To reach a level of perfection of living in love, which isn't about being right all the time or being morally uh, perfect without any moral failures. That's not what he's talking about. It's about reaching in, uh, reacting in a divine love towards other people. For instance, we're living perfectly when we ask for forgiveness for a failure on our own part. We're living in perfect love when we care enough to share Christ with another person despite that uncomfortableness you feel. We're loving perfectly when we gently admonish someone for inviting sin in their own lives, for for trying to direct them away from making really bad decisions. Or when we seek reconciliation and restoration in relationship, although that's really hard to do, and it's counterintuitive. It's totally counterintuitive to human concepts of love. It's totally counterintuitive. You wouldn't think it, but it is the easiest, best way to live. The easiest, best way to live. It might be hard at times, but it works. Our love has limits. Our human, humanistic love has limits. Jesus claims it's got to go further, but he doesn't leave us alone. The only reason we can do this is because God himself is love as expressed in the Trinity, right? Three divine persons, one nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Persons refer to who one is, and a nature is, refers to what one is, right? So three persons sharing the same substance, the same essence, the same nature, each receiving and sharing love in this social ma- matrix, in this community. He's the reflection of what he calls us to, a community of perfect love. Back and forth, back and forth. And the joyous truth is that love resides in us at that moment of our salvation when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
individuals filled with the essence of love, God, you know, filled up with the Holy Spirit, residing in community together, sharing and receiving His love with one another, reflecting God's nature to society. You know, despite all the criticisms of the church in society, we, we do do a lot of really good stuff. There is a lot of this actually reflected in church. You guys reflect this a lot. Amen for that, right? But what stands in the way of this is a lack of attention to detail, an indifference, assault and withdrawal, the lack of submission, right? Firstly, not practicing Romans 12, 1 and 2, which we've been talking about a lot, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, our spiritual act of worship, our conforming to the patterns of this world instead, therefore not being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the revealed Word of God, the knowledge of His Word and the direction of His Spirit. We're not allowing ourselves sometimes to be transformed by that. And if we had, we would have known the will of God, right? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You can read the verse. And there's that word again, perfect, perfect. (laughs) Perfect nature of love emanating out from us due to our residing in Christ, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, extending love to others in community. How you walk with Jesus Jesus affects me. How you walk with Jason affects me too. (laughs) John Wimber used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Because divine love is risky business. A life of faith and love is risky, risky business. But... We have a safety net. Colossians 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You are enveloped. You are taken over. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. You're not going anywhere. Nobody can destroy you. No one. Nothing. Even if they kill you, you're not destroyed. You are hidden away in Christ. We are safe in him. No matter the loving risk we take to reflect God's love in relationship with others, no matter what. And when we live in risky faith and love, there's a something profound which happens to us. We find a wholeness we were meant to find as reflected in the Trinity. In the knowledge God's for us, we are for others. And suddenly we find out that they are for us. Nice having people for you. Which brings about this assurance of being, of being, a sense of peace, a sense of stability to you that you might never have had. Because when that's not present, we feel turmoil, the undercurrent of turmoil. We feel depression. We feel instability. It's why church is so important. It's why you have to stay engaged. It's why we must be vigilant to guard our relationships and love strongly and keep a moving forward community in community together. Life has its troubles. It does, and we all know that. That's not any secret. 
We are sometimes attacked in various ways, either directly or indirectly by life or people or whatever, right? We need this divine sufficiency of being rooted in Christ, the safety of being rooted in Christ, the vertical connection that we have between us and God, this Trinitarian God, is the only one truly all-sufficient for us. I can't get it from my wife. I can't get it from any of you. I can only get like that perfect whatever from from God. But we are also created to be in relationship with one another, the horizontal back and forth relationships, right? Of sufficiency in Christ's body between brothers and sisters who have also professed and are devoted to the allegiance of Christ's love in life. I need you. You need me. We do this imperfectly as we look to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to transform us through fellowship and difficulty. Right? We all have families of origin. We all have circles of friendship. We all have communities that we've grown up in in life where we've received good things and bad things. Experiences which have been loving in those, those things and, and life-giving in those things will serve us well against the hits of life and on into adulthood. And it's why even sometimes, you know, those who have passed on can still live on in, our, in their progeny or, their, 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 or, or in their students because their influence is still felt, it's still practiced, Right? Good, directive, loving action and proper discipline towards the young create in them a solidity for the future, right? It does. If a child's taught strong values and behavior and characters instilled in them at a very young age, they'll be able to withstand life's hits well. That's the secret, moms and dads. But if they're never disciplined or the discipline isn't strong enough, They'll not be able to interact in community with others well in the future. Opportunities will be missed because nobody's going to want to work with them. They'll be late to everything. Little slam on the millennial culture. Just kidding. I, well, maybe I'm not. I don't know. But, um, but relationships won't last. What about their marriage in the future? Do you want them to stay together with their spouse? Since we have emotionally and spiritually stunted their growth, this stuff is important. It's that important, right? Some of our interactions have created wounds by which we've not recovered, right? We've not really recovered from all our wounds. Those who have experienced abuse have a very hard time finding trust and health in community. They do. Without divine intervention... Oftentimes they never recover since it's undermined their ability to have healthy community from the very onset. And that's where the power of the gospel comes in. They will live by false, a false reality in their imagination, unable to receive love or care in, in healthy ways because they're bruised from the beginning. They can't get past it. And this is the effect of sin. Sin in self, sin from others, sin in structures. And inevitably, we place the blame on God for all these things. And we can't imagine that 
loving, life-giving community found in the Trinity that is extended to us on earth through the body of Christ. We just can't imagine it, so we don't believe it, and so we don't act in it. And we stay on the periphery, and we don't engage. Or one little slap, and we run, right? Our wounds may be de- derived through the actions and the words of others as we are growing up, but they are perpetuated by us in adulthood and reciprocated to others in two ways, by assault and withdrawal. And those things are really the same thing, by the way. And if we are to find freedom, and if we are to be spiritually formed well, these two things have to be addressed, and, they, and, they, and the power of, of them over our lives has to be broken. We can't live out of the past and current wounds you know, all the time assaulting others or withdrawing in relationship with them. And, and withdrawal is just another form of assault, like I said. It's hard to imagine. In Christ, we can live without these things which sometimes control our relationships and our lives without us even knowing it. Maybe you're going through a hard time because God wants to open your heart and open your eyes to deal with some of this stuff. Out of our woundedness, we often assault others when we act against that which is good for them, right? Even when we have their consent in doing so, (laughs) right? This can be a direct assault, right? A direct assault verbally, physically, uh, financially, sexually, or what have you. It It could be a violent thing. An intentional act against the good or betterment of another person, against what God has said is good and healthy for society, for people, and we assault people in the other direction, right? It may be intentionally standing in the way of somebody's progress just because they did or said something we didn't like, or or we simply don't like them. We don't like the way they dress. They don't like the way they talk or the way they sound or... You know, the choices they make in some way or some shape or form or whatever. It could be a single guy not guarding the honor of a woman by enticing her to the bedroom without the commitment of marriage because marriage reflects the love of Christ Christ uh, for his bride, right? That's an assault, by the way. It could also be the assault of a woman, I want to be fair here, acting in very intentionally provocative ways to tempt, tempt a man into the same bedroom. That is also an assault. Assault comes in so many different forms. Think about it. It doesn't have to be overtly violent. It doesn't have to be violent at all. It could be totally consensual for me to assault somebody. I'm just leading them away from Jesus, away from that which is healthy and good and what God has defined as healthy and good, right? Withdrawal is simply another form of assault, as we said, where, where, where we intentionally disregard another's well-being and, and, and their goodness, or we, we are simply indifferent to them. In other words, we just don't care. I don't care about you, right? The absence of love is deadly. It's deadly as seen in withdrawal. It kills people, right? It kills your spirit. This might just be looking through, right through somebody, not recognizing their existence. 
being too preoccupied with yourself to care about another person that's in your life. It could be the intentional silent treatment that we give because we despise somebody or they've done something to upset us. It could be uh, not saying no in a crowd that is going down the wrong path and allowing sin to take root with your friends. Our kids battle that all the time in high school, don't they? There's a big problem right now with all of this. In a digitally connected world, we can't effectively practice this love towards everyone in every situation. To try would bring total frustration. So at the risk of sounding like I'm contradicting myself, sometimes you, you have to withdraw. Let me explain that. Scripture speaks of a common community, right? A common community, those close to us. Right? Within our realm of interaction. Sometimes we need to draw realistic boundaries in how much we can love, how much our emotion and our and our psyche can extend beyond ourselves. But that sometimes feels wrong of us, right? Feels wrong. I was watching a Portlandia skit. I was telling Ivory last night at the barbecue. My wife always walks in when they say something really off color in a show. She never walks in when they're like talking good stuff and they're like, oh, what are you watching? You know, it's always like some rude comment. And she goes, what are you watching? It's terrible as a husband. He said, yeah, that's the same thing with me. I said, I think that's the Holy Spirit. Um, but I was watching Portlandia. Season eight came out on Netflix. And the wife was listening to the news in the kitchen, right? And she's, she's really bothered. She's upset, right? And the hubby is sitting there drinking coffee, like all smiley. And uh, he says, are you bothered by what's going on in the news out there in the world? She said, how can you not be? We've got to do something, right? And he said, believe me, you'll be happier if you just don't care, <laughs> right? <laughs> Great skit. I mean, it's comedy playing off the tension that all of us are feeling, that there's just too much going on out there in the world. We can't solve all those ills. We're not present on the ground. We don't have boots on the ground. The new monthly major issue to be upset about, disturbing our spiritual chi. Always. What was it last month? What was the month month before? I'm not saying that we don't care, but his answer was just to tune out. Right? Just tune out of everything. But the answer I think Scripture gives us, and one which we must weigh in every situation, right? Is love the one you're with. The Beatles. Beatles, right? Love the one you're with, right? Yeah. Love your neighbor. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. Does that mean we don't do anything about all the world's big issues? No, it does not mean that. But it does mean that we keep our focus largely on what we're doing in relationship with those right around us. Look around you right now. And in that context, not limiting it up to those who we just like or we have affinity with. Old, old heads in this church, people that have been around from the beginning, have you been hang, shaking hands with new people? Right? You know, in all these big issues in the world, maybe there's a vote to be made, maybe there's a petition to be signed, maybe there's a march to be had. 
And if you feel strongly, by all means, go ahead, do that thing. Nobody's telling you not to. I'm not. But understand your divine calling is to love those on the other side of that issue too. And we must take caution with what we align ourselves with lest we promote hate ourselves. That's, we have to be careful of those things. And most importantly, we don't allow those huge, huge world issues to cause us to withdraw and divide from those close to us which we have the most chance of infecting with Christ's love. We are finite people with an infinite God who will right all the wrongs and who will address all injustices in the world. That doesn't mean that we totally retreat from everything and just don't care. That's not what we're saying. But it does mean proper boundaries and effective love from us on the ground. Spiritual formation is a social thing. It's never just me and God. It's always me, God, and you. And everything I experience with God affects who I am and in turn what I do with you. Likewise, my relationship with you affects my relationship with God. I can't beat my wife and have fellowship with Jesus. Those two things are mutually exclusive, if you didn't know that. As a Caucasian man, I cannot harbor racism, racist thoughts in my heart towards others that are different than me because spiritually, if I do that, I'm clogged up with Jesus. Jesus is not about that. As Christ transforms me, I must be emotionally and spiritually present in the relationships around me to see them also transformed by His love. The sure mark of spiritual formation is we become people who love one another. I love and forgive you as He's loved and forgiven me. Right here, right now, in this room, and even beyond this room. As 1 John 2.6 says, whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. That is a profoundly difficult statement, if you really think about it. That's a profoundly difficult statement. One in which we'll not act perfectly in God's love given the tension that we live under all the time, but one in which we are called to pursue nonetheless. We are. We can't live our life demanding others to love us. I loved how Kim said that earlier, and we didn't plan that, by the way. We must draw our worth and our love from the all-sufficient source, which is God, and in doing so, we overflow love to other people. Romans fifteen thirteen, right? And then, and only then, do we find the solidity of being loved by others as well. We actually start to find healthy relationships. So church isn't just to feed you, to satisfy your felt needs. That's not what church is. It's to equip you to love others well. It's to equip you to love Jesus well and love others well. When it becomes all about your felt needs, you are withdrawing from ministry and discipleship. You're withdrawing from Jesus. You could read all the books, but if it's just about you, you don't get anywhere. You spin your wheels. We all hear that spoken all the time. 
We are to be filled to overflowing. Love, the kind that Jesus calls us to, is not a special, weird way of feeling. Rather, it is a divine way of relating to God and others intentionally, which restructures our world and which changes individuals and changes societies. If all of you become Christ-like, oh my gosh, this world is going to change. Jesus changed it with 12 people. The call to love your neighbor is a constant to the Christian, a constant call. Those you have community with, right? And within reason, extending beyond that. We extended it to uh, Beirut, didn't we, just recently? When we don't intentionally engage here, we retreat into the death of isolation. If we try to save ourselves by withdrawal, avoiding difficult relational issues, not addressing them when appropriate, or simply not caring about those around us, we don't save our lives, we lose them. Believe me, I know how difficult this is. For some of you, as you grow older, the temptation to withdraw will grow stronger. For others of you, as you grow older, the temptation to assault will grow stronger. Think of the old man like that lives down the block that's always barking at the kids walking across his lawn, right? So for the former, fight that. Trust Jesus and talk. Talk. For the latter, fight that. Trust Jesus and shut up a little bit. Shut up a little bit and give people the room to come out of their shells. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Love as you've been forgiven, right? If you want to live the full life of Christ, then give as well as receive. Give as well as receive. Seek transformation uh, of self in Christ and in relationship with other people. Ask yourself, have I been guilty of personal assault on others? Of gossip, of angry, divisive words? of injecting doubt into relationships? Am I upset just because I haven't gotten my way? Do I hound or nag somebody all the time? Do I force my agenda, think I'm right, and just want to win the argument all the time? Or am I withholding love from someone? Giving the silent treatment. Have have I given up? Have I just given up? Have I disengaged myself in relationship with individuals in my local church body? Have I stopped showing up to things? Have I stopped giving my time? Am I being cliquish with my relationships and community? Being intentional in these ways is frightening and risky, but it is the only way of true life. Only. When we lovingly and humbly address issues, we are, we're always glad we did, even if it's just to clear our conscience, even if we don't get the right response from the other person. How have you let life's busyness or hurt make you withdraw from church life or family life or friends or work or whatever it is? How have you allowed assault and withdrawal to destroy peace in your relationships or in yourself? 
How can you allow Jesus to transform your social relationships, bringing reconciliation, life and health to them once more, overcoming and destroying the power of past wounds which have governed you for so long or governed your relationships for so long? How do you do that? It can be done. You've got to serve somebody. It might as well be the God of life. The all-sufficient creator of life, love himself. Draw from him, overflowing to others in community, using the mechanisms, the things that are available to you, and relationships available to you to do this and to practice it. Be intentional in your loving. Don't let Satan have the upper hand in your life any longer. Don't devolve into assault and withdrawal. Evolve into the glorious expression of the love of Christ in community. Draw from your vertical relationship with Jesus, the up and down, to minister in your horizontal relationships with each other, the back and forth. Bring those issues to him because it is true. He was not lying. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the words that you've given us. Words of life. The counterintuitive, upside-down message that flies right in the face of everything that we've ever been taught by society in this world. That you are a sacrifice for us. That you are a God who does for us what we could not do for ourselves in the first case. And then you call us into that wonderful, glorious life of self-denial and dying to self for the love of others. Father, I don't know how to do that. I'm still learning. I'm 51 and I still feel like I fumble through this stuff. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we're not measured by the law. We thank you that we reside under grace and we can make our mistakes and to be perfect is just trying to do it better. That we have your righteousness over us, covering us all the time. 